Welcome to Nairobi Chapel Embakasi. We grow deep to reach wide. Now I want us to read from the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 13 all the way to chapter 5, verse 11. And so would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 13 all the way through to chapter 5, verse 11. So pull out your smartphones, pull out your Bibles if you have a physical copy, and let's read together. This is what the Lord says, I'm reading from the NIV 1984 version, if you don't have a Bible you could listen to me, it says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left in the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and the left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another, each other, with these words. Chapter 5. Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, verse 4, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us be, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-control. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we might live together with him. And finally, verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing this sermon is going to be divided into a number of parts. Part one is going to be why Jesus is coming back. Part two, how Jesus is coming back. Part three, when Jesus is coming back. Fourth part, who Jesus is coming back for. And what is Jesus coming back to do. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's start from the beginning. Before we look at why Jesus is coming back, I have to look at what Paul the Apostle writes to the church in the Thessalonians in verse 13. He writes to them, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Now, Paul the Apostle is responding to the concerns of the Thessalonians. Let me give you the context of this church. Paul was going through different parts of the world preaching the gospel. And he came to a church called, to a town called Thessalonica. And when he was there, he preached the gospel and was only there with them for three weeks. And after three weeks, there arose a group of Jews who hated him. And they chased him away. So Paul left the church. 
as infants, and he ran away to a town called Berea. And then the king after him, he ran away to Athens. And then he ran away, going on further all the way to Corinth. And Paul was worried about the church, kept thinking, this church is so young. I've been with them for such a short time. Churches like the Corinthians have the privilege of having Paul for more than three years. This church had it for just a few weeks. Some scholars suggest it was a few months. But we are told that it was there for three summers. So that would be three weeks. And Paul is thinking, my goodness, what will happen to you? You guys, there are so many heresies, there are so many false teachers, there are so many wolves in sheep's clothing. You guys are going to be defeated. I am begging you to just, I, I, God help them. So does Paul do? Paul plans to go back. And if you read the book of 1 Thessalonians, he says, as I tried to go back, Satan stopped me. And so Paul couldn't go back. So did he do? He said, Timothy, he said, Timothy, Timothy, remember that church that Silas and I started? Please go check up on them. And Timothy goes to check up on them. And what is Paul expecting when Timothy comes to give a report? Just thinking, these guys have abandoned the church. They have closed it down. It is now a cafeteria. We don't know what to do anymore. By the way, Paul, I'm not finding too. Quite the opposite. Paul hears these guys are walking with God. These guys are doing great things. These guys are thriving. And Paul is impressed. He's like, wow. And it hits Paul that the church does not belong to Paul, it belongs to Jesus. That it is Jesus who is holding the church together. Yeah. Now the Thessalonians were few were concerned because the people who came to Christ were being killed. And they kept saying, look, our brothers have been killed. And they thought, what will happen to them? How will the end times happen? And they knew that the Lord will come back and the Lord had told them that when I come back, I'm going to take my people. And they thought, has he come back? We know Paul has not even come back, has spoken God. <laughs> And so Paul writes to them this letter to encourage them, but also to clarify a few things concerning Jesus coming back. So he begins by saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now listen, there are four times in the scriptures where Paul the apostle tells the church, don't be ignorant. The first time he says that is in Romans 11. He says, by the way, don't be ignorant about Israel. He says, know your history about Israel. Israel is a very special country. It's a special, special, it's a special kind of people. You need to know what's going on in Israel. He said, don't be ignorant. Those Israelites you are looking down at, let me tell you, they've got a big role to play in history. Yeah. And then he says, in 1 Corinthians 12, don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Please understand what kind of spiritual gift you have. In fact, I will ask you to ask that person sitting next to you, what is your spiritual gift? Do you know your spiritual gifts? Do you know? Well, this is Paul's appeal to you. He says, please know. Do not be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And then he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, don't be ignorant about the schemes of Satan. He's basically saying there is an invisible realm, and that invisible realm has a real enemy, that enemy is Satan, and he said, please know how Satan works. And then the fourth time, he says, please know about the end times. Now it's interesting that these four things that Paul tells us to not be ignorant about seem to be the things that you believers are most ignorant about. <laughs> Many believers can't tell you the role of Israel as far as God's plan is concerned. Many believers cannot tell you what spiritual gifts do and what they are for. They just put by them. I wish that was a bit. <laughs> Many believers cannot tell you the role of Satan in the, in the life of a believer. And many believers cannot tell you a lot about the end times. Now Paul is saying, look at what the Lord is saying and learn. So let's start with number one. Why is Jesus coming back? Look at verse 14. He says, verse 14, we believe that Jesus died 
and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring Jesus, those who are falling asleep with him. So why is Jesus coming back? Jesus is coming back because he supplemented his first trip. This is not Jesus' first trip. This is his second trip. And he's basically saying, I came, and guess what? I'll be back. <laughs> and somebody is saying, listen, I'll be back because I was here the first time. And you cannot understand why Jesus is coming back unless you understand his first trip. Why did Jesus come the first time? Jesus came to solve the biggest crisis in human history. What was that crisis? This was the crisis. God is holy. Man is sinful. And a man who is sinful and a God is holy cannot interact. Yeah. A holy God and a sinful man are antithetical to one another. A holy God and a sinful man, if you put those two together, a holy God will obliterate the sinful man. There was a feud between divinity and humanity. And there was a chasm between God and man. And there was nothing that could bridge that chasm. And the Bible says because man is sinful, this is what man duly deserves. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And this is the problem, that the God who is holy and who wants to bridge that chasm with man cannot do so because his holiness will destroy a sinful man, but yet he loves a sinful man. And so what did God do? God said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to bridge that gap. Now mankind over time has taught themselves not to be sinful. Mankind has taught themselves to be kind of cute, huh? <laughs> But this is the reality concerning who you are, that you are sinful. That from the moment you are born, you are a sinner. Now some of you perhaps struggle to hear that. But let me ask you to ask the person sitting next to you. Just five questions. Can we agree five? <laughs> or maybe six. Maybe I'll, I'll put in a bonus one. Five questions. Question number one, ask them. Have you lied before? <laughs> Alright? Alright? Yes. What do you call someone who lies? Liar. Liar. That's how I say human. <laughs> how many times do you need to murder to be a mother? Ah, how many times do you need to like you are a serial liar? <laughs> Alright, question number two. How many have, have you stolen something before? <laughs> and your mind is right to go back to class three. <laughs> Now if your neighbor says, I have, never, I have never stolen something before, just tell them, I don't believe you, you told me you're a liar. <laughs> so number one, you're a liar, number two, you're a thief. thief. Number three, ask them, have you used God's name in vain before? <laughs> you looked at a dream and went like, hey, Jack! <laughs> now in ancient Israel, the name of God was so holy, it only just couldn't be said anyhow. You couldn't just be shocked and throwing the name of God there. The, the, the punishment was speech to go to death. Why? Because the sin was blasphemy. So guys, by our own admission, so far we are liars, we are thieves, we are blasphemers. Alright, question number four. Ask them, have you murdered someone before? Have you? Now, so many confident files smiles right now. No. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever had those experiences in high school where you are where you're given your exam paper, let's say you've done an exam and the papers have been given and your teacher gives you exam paper and you look at your marks and go like, oof. And then you look at your neighbor's exams and you're like, ah, ah. 
I'm okay. <laughs> you, you know, humanity tends to feel righteous based on the next person. Yes. I mean, he's blown up a building. I'm not so bad. <laughs> but when God is talking about the chasm between us and him, guess what? The magic scheme is not a fellow human being. The magic scheme is a holy, holy God. And what does a holy, holy God stand and say? What is his righteous standard? He says that if anyone, this is what Jesus came to say, you are perfect for saying, do not commit murder. But I say unto you, if anyone hates his brother, calls him a fool, you are guilty of murder. So ladies and gentlemen, I present to you your first murderer. Let's look at your CV so far. Number one, you're up. Number two, you're up. Please. Number three, you're up. Number four, you're up. Alright, number five. Ask that person, have you looked at someone with last before? Now, husbands and wives are dying. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, You are covered for saying, Do not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if anyone looks at someone with last, if their hand has committed what? Adultery. Ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you. You see that big screen there at the corner? If we pull out that HDMI cable and all of us have an HDMI slot on our heads, and we plug it there, and we're going to see all the thoughts in your head for the past three months. Full projection there for the rest of the service. <laughs> and of you say, yeah, show my thoughts. They are only going to be. Okay, the past one month. Okay, two weeks, they are losing. They are journey. Three days. Number six. This is the number six question. <laughs> Three days. Oh, one hour. One hour is a month. What am I trying to say? Guys, when you look at the standard of a holy, holy God, none of us can actually say, I, I made it. The Christian God is so holy, and guys, some people say, oh, but Anne is fine, that's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yes, I see, I'm a sinner, yes, I've made mistakes, but Anne is, I'm a good person. There are some good things I've done. I mean, God will surely look at the good things I've done, and God like, yeah, yeah, you know, the righteous things you've done, I'm going to look at the things you've done, and yeah, yeah, you, you qualify to my kingdom. Your righteous deeds surpass your good deeds. Mm. Let me ask you. Suppose I'm driving along airport North Road and the speed limit is 70 kilometers per hour and Anne's boy is clocking 120 kilometers per hour. In the process, I knock an old man who's crossing the road, he dies on the spot. And after he dies on the spot, I crash on the side and I injure a few people waiting on a matatu stage. I destroy some property. I'm arrested by the police. I'm taken to court, I'm taken to court the next week. And when I stand in court, the judge says, Honest, speeding at 120 in a, in a 70 zone, how do you plead? He said, guilty. Then he said, Anders oh boy, killed an old man in your careless driving. How do you plead? I said, guilty. Then he said, Anders injured a few people on the bus stage that they're in hospital in critical condition. How do you plead? I said, guilty. Then he said, Anders oh boy, destroyed public property in your careless driving. How do you plead? I said, guilty. He says, on account of these four crimes, I hear my sentence you to 20 years in prison and he bans his gave and I hear that and I tell the judge, when a judge, relax. When a judge, when overreacts. Easy to name in a famous two K. Four things. I 
And some of us love to go the Western way of getting a symbol like a ring and you put it on her hand. What does that mean? That means that she's taken, right? In our traditional cultures, like among the Kikuyu, the God, you plant a banana. And to show that the girl in this home is taken. Christ died on that cross and when he shed that blood, it was a proposal and you accept it. What did he do? He gave you a symbol. He gave you the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of you to show that you are taken. You belong to him. You are the bride of Christ. How is Jesus coming back? Verse 15 to 17. Since according to the Lord's own word, we tell, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not receive those who are fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So Paul the Apostle goes up to tell them, alright, so now he's coming back for you. Now you need to understand how he's going to come back. And Paul describes it very dramatically. Now what Paul is doing, Paul is supplementing what Jesus had taught. I want us to turn very quickly to Matthew chapter 24. And I want you to see what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 36 to 44. I'm going to read it for you. Matthew 24, I'm going to read from verse 36 to 44. These are the words of Jesus. And Jesus says, No one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And he goes on to say, For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day when Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 40. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding in a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you don't know the day. You don't know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So you told how Jesus will come. And if you put these two teachings together, you realize that Jesus is coming at a time when everything seems to be okay. People are married, people are having brushes, people are going to work, people have masks. <laughs> Life is going on. People are clapping, people are going for weddings, people are going for road trips, people are celebrating. Life is going on. And then Paul the Apostle says, this is what will happen. That believers will be caught up in the air and then Jesus describes how it will happen. In fact, he says, those believers will be in the midst with other unbelievers. You'll be at your workplace. <laughs> You'll be wherever you are. And then the Lord says, he, he gives a contrast with two people. He says, two people <laughs> will be in the field. I'm guessing they're working. And then he says, one will be taken and the other left. And then he says, two women will be working in the field. One will be taken. And the other left. And he says, Who will be taken? Those who belong to the Lord. Now, the word there that Paul gives in 1 Thessalonians is the word haphazo, which is translated uh, raptus in Latin and in the English transliteration, we call it the rapture of the church. Now, Paul says, Before that catching up of believers, something else will happen. He says, We won't just go. Before we go, he says, The dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then God is going to take us up, and guess what he's going to do? When he's taking up this man who is in the field, and this woman who is in the field, guess what? He's taking them up with their bodies. You know, when Jesus Christ died, Jesus Christ did not leave his body there on earth. He did not just say, you know what, I'm done with this body. This body experienced temptation, this body experienced trials, and guess what? This body has passed the test. Mm. This body has not given into sin. And Jesus, guess what? He dies on that cross, and when he comes from the dead, he has that same body. And to prove it's the same body, he tells the disciples, look, touch, touch. It's the Romans, the crucifix me there. Look, touch. And what does Jesus do? He goes up to that body. Now, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells us what will happen when we are caught up. He says our bodies will be transformed. This body of yours will be transformed. Its sinful desires will be taken away. You will be transmitted. But prior to that, those who died in Christ will rise first. Just like Christ rose from the grave, the graves will give them up. Those who have died in Christ. And when the graves give up those who died in Christ, guess what happens? They are going to be caught up. Their bodies transformed. Then we shall follow. We shall be caught up. It shall be the greatest chaos in human history. If you read the book of Revelation, what proceeds after that is what is called the most horrible time in human history. Yeah. When Christ described it, he said the chaos will be on an Avengers level threat. <laughs> it will be great. It, it, will, be, it will be universal. It will be cataclysmic. There will be chaos, pandemonium, and Jesus says there won't be any chaos. There's not, there, there won't be any chaos like that. Until that time, no one will have seen any chaos bigger than that. And what will be ushered is a period where John describes and the prophet Daniel describes as the great tribulation. And the great tribulation is a time of intense suffering. And what is happening politically in this world? Politically in this world, the nations of men will come together and they will say, there's too much chaos. There's too much trouble. We need to work together. We need a unified, one world government. We need a unified, one world moral system. And they will say, okay, we'll come together. We need a unified world currency. And they will say, all right, we'll come together, but who will lead us? And governments will propose, I will lead us. No, you can't lead us. You're too black. <laughs> you can't lead us. You're too white. You can't lead us. You don't speak Chinese. You can't lead us. You've got historical injustices. You can't lead us. You can't lead us. And then we are told that a man will rise from the tribe of Dan. And he will say, I will lead you. And the Bible says, you will convince the entire world. And they will accept it. And the Bible says he'll be charismatic, mm. he'll be powerful, he will lead, mm. and he will bring peace to the Middle East. Mm. That portion of land that has been irreconcilable for many years, he will bring peace. And he says, and the Jews will be given the opportunity to rebuild their temple. Mm. And the temple sacrifices will be reinstated. And guys, things will be getting back to normal. For three and a half years, things will be running well. Like, okay, we are still trying to figure out where did these people who call themselves full of Jesus Christ go? Where in the world did they disappear to? And after three and a half years, that man who is known as the Antichrist will stand on that temple that has been rebuilt and he will say, I am worthy of worship. And he says, that will be the turning point for Israel. 
Because Israel would say, you cannot claim to be worthy of worship, you have to claim to be God. And Israel would say, the last man who claimed to be worthy of worship, guess what? We crucified him. <laughs> so what are you trying? <laughs> and he would say, but I have fulfilled all your prophecies. And he will attempt to show them. Look at all the prophecies from Abraham, all the material. I have fulfilled them. And that will push the Israelites to go into their history and to look, is this man the Messiah we have been longing for? Now the Muslims, the Bible says uh, that during that time, this man will have rallied the support of the entire world. And if you read Muslim eschatology, the Muslims believe that there is a messianic figure called the Mahdi, who is going to come and take over and make Islam a global religion. And this man that is described in the Bible as the Antichrist fits the description of the Mahdi. He will have the favor of the world religions. He'll have the favor of the political class. And the only two groups of people who will not agree with him are people who are left behind and say, Pastor Alexander was right. <laughs> Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But who is Pastor Alexander? The Bible says there will be a famine of God's word. You will look for Pastor Alexander, you can't find him. The other group of people who will reject this, this guy are the Jews, because what are they doing? They are doing their research. And the Bible says when they finish their research, they will make an announcement. We have come to the conclusion that the Messiah that is spoken about all the way from the time of Abraham up to now, that that Messiah will miss the boat, guys. His name is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says all of Israel will be saved. All of Israel will turn to him will turn away from him, and all of Israel will turn to Christ. And the Bible says, if you read the book of Revelation, that the Lord will raise 144,000 Jewish evangelists who will go and tell guys, the Christians were right. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Bible says, from then on, gloves are off. No more Mr. Nice Guy. It's going to be punishment. It's going to be beheading. It's going to be death. Jesus is telling us this is exactly how it will happen. Then go on. When is Jesus coming back? When is Jesus coming back? Verse 5, chapter 5, rather. says, Brothers, about times and needs, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And I don't know if any of you have ever been robbed. <laughs> when you're in the house. It's a, it's a very horrifying thing. When you hear someone, you know, trying to open your door, and you're thinking, my neighbor must have confused my door for his, or my neighbor is drunk, and you hear very lucid conversations. Hawako, Munje, You know, we had our house robbed when we were living in Ruaka, and I remember we were out, we were not, we were not in the house, we, we, we had traveled to Shards. So our caretaker comes and tells us, hey, Merudi, like, no, we are not around. Babe, did you lock the door? Of course I locked the door. I, my video is going to put two Then we came back and found out we had been robbed. It, it, it's a very scary feeling. It's a very, it's, it's a very intrusive feeling. The Bible is saying, Jesus is not going to come and give advance warnings. Guys, coming soon. Coming soon. Coming soon. Coming soon. See press and posters for details. <laughs> He's just gonna come BAM! Like a thief in the night. Like a thief in the night. And Jesus saying that nobody knows the day, nor the hour. 
When is Jesus coming back? We don't know. We have no idea. But this is the reality. It will be a surprise. It will definitely come. It will definitely come. And it goes on to say, while people are saying safety, peace, destruction will come suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. Now all the women, perhaps you feel this more than anyone in this room. <laughs> if you've given birth, when you're going around your office duties, then all of a sudden you get into labor. And I'm not talking about the black statistics. This is the real thing. You are about to go into labor. You don't know it. Well, nowadays you can kind of ask the doctor, give me the EDD, but when that EDD is not prophetic. <laughs> it could come, it could go, it could fall short. We're almost done. Throughout history, many people have predicted when Jesus would come. As from the year 500, people like Hippolytus of Rome, Julius Africanus, they say Jesus would come in the year 500, and they say they were looking at Noah's Ark and the dimensions. On the 6th of April, 793, a Spanish monk professed that Jesus would come. Pope Sylvester, in the year 1000, professed that Jesus would come on a particular date, on 1st January. On 20th February, 1524, Johannes Toffler said he had looked at the stars and he had predicted that Jesus would come on the 20th of February, 1524. Henry Archer, in 1700, said that Jesus would come on a particular date, 1,335 days, according to the prophecy in Daniel chapter 12, verse 12. And if you go on looking, even in 1844, prior to the birth of the SDA church, in fact, the SDA church was founded upon controversy because one of their leaders, Ellen G. White and William Miller, they came together and they prophesied that Jesus would come back on the 22nd of October, 1844. Guess what? They sold their property. They waited on a hill. They waited and waited <laughs> and nothing happened. And the excuse that Miller gave is that something happened in the spiritual realm. You could not see it. Meanwhile, Ellen G. White broke off from him and she started the SDA church movement. And many people in the SDA church don't like that kind of history concerning Ellen G. White, but it's real history. What am I trying to say? Throughout history, many people have seen he will come on this date. And guess what? More people are going to come back and say he's going to come on this date. Based on what? Based on this, based on this, based on cryptocurrency, based on what? He's going to come. But guys, the Bible says nobody knows. Yeah. Now guys, as we come to the end of the sermon, who is Jesus coming back for? Look at verse 4 of chapter 5. Brothers, you are not in darkness. That is, they should surprise you like a thief. We are sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like the others who are asleep, verse 6, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk in the night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation of the helmet. Who is Jesus coming back for? Jesus, come, Jesus Christ is coming back for genuine believers. You see, the reason for the possibility and demarcation between light and darkness is because there's always a counterfeit. With everything, there's always a counterfeit. Manufacturers know this, that when you produce something original, you find that there's a counterfeit. You go to town and you think you're buying the iPhone 12, you switch it on and then you look at the screen and it says iTel. <laughs> there are counterfeits in this world. You think you bought an original watch, 
And then you realize it's speaking so loudly. <laughs> There's no way a designer watch could do this. They're always counterfeits. Now, Paul is saying that even in the church, they are counterfeits. Jesus said that the wheat has been planted, but at night the devil came and sowed tears. And he says that we need to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, is Jesus really coming back for me? You see, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, on that side of the day of judgment, many people say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in your name? Lord, remember me? I came to NC, Embakasi, Nini, come on, me. I was in the register, me. And then Jesus said, depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Now listen, he does not say, you know, I knew you, and then you backslid, and then you refused to go back to church, and you need to do time. You know, where to the No, no, he says, listen, he said, I never knew you. Not never means never means not ever. Never means you're not even an ex. This relationship never started in the first place. <laughs> it is very possible to be in the faith and to think that you are in and yet you are out. It's very possible to you, for you to think that you know what I, I actually am in, but the Lord says, examine yourself. What is the proof of the Christian life? The proof of the Christian life is that we bear fruit. We do not walk in darkness, we walk in the light. The proof of the Christian life is that we change when the Holy Spirit comes into our life. That there is a tangible change. And that we bear fruit and that our lives are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we are concerned about the things of God. Are you concerned about the things of God? Paul says, examine yourself. Because Christ is coming back and he's going to look at your life and say, truly, is there evidence in your life that you are a born again believer? Well, perhaps on Sunday there is. Perhaps on the outside there is. But you know what, deep down, this whole thing about Jesus and Hogwash. I know the Bible says that, but let's be real. How about this conversation? <laughs> Why am I waiting for sex until marriage? I'm going to marry her anyway. Everybody does this to get a tender. He can either last or survive easy. <laughs> and you see, it does not say that Christians are perfect. They also that Christians never fail. No, Christians do fall. But this is the reality that Christians love the Lord Jesus. And Christians obey the Lord Jesus because they see what was done on the cross for you. And they want to follow him. They want to adore him. They want to worship him. Christians are willing to die to self. Christians look at what Jesus did on the cross and they say, if you die for me, I can live for you. Yeah. If you shed your blood for me, I can give my life for you. Yeah. Does your life demonstrate fruit? You know to ask? Ask your spouse. Ask your children. Ask the Lord. Jesus is coming back for genuine believers. Jesus is coming back for believers who truly desire Him. Jesus is coming for believers who are concerned about the end times and who are concerned about the advancement of the gospel, not just the advancement of their careers. Jesus is coming back, and the question is, are you in? Will he find you worthy? Will he find you in? Now I'll tell you this as a believer, you can go through seasons of struggle with sin. But I'll tell you personally, one of the biggest struggles in my life as a believer, I remember uh, when, I was a, when I was a new believer, one of the biggest struggles for me was porn and masturbation. Big struggle. And I constantly tried to get out and I doubted my salvation every time. And I kept thinking there's no way I'm going to heaven, but this is the assurance. But God says he sees you struggling mm. and he relates with your weaknesses. Yeah. He knows what you're going through. And he says you do not disqualify yourself or you are not disqualified from his kingdom simply because you've got a struggle. Mm. 
He says he wants to have that struggle gone. Now, this is the difference. A believer does not indulge in that struggle and love that struggle. A believer wants to be free of the struggle. And Jesus understands. Jesus was a man. Christianity is the only faith that has God himself take the form of a man and live out that life and say, I know what it feels like. Yeah. You're going through stuff, Jesus says, yeah, I feel you. <laughs> oh no, you don't understand. These people are plotting against me. Yeah, I know, I know what it feels like. That's what the Pharisees did it for me. Yeah. Oh my God, Jesus, man, I was betrayed. Yeah, you know what? I kind of feel you. You know, I had one of my best friends called Judas betrayed me. <laughs> but Jesus, you, bro, I feel you. <laughs> I was there at the last table, at the last supper. I asked the disciples, what, I told them, one of you betrayed me. They started asking, is it Tylon? Is it Tylon? <laughs> Judas asked me, is it Tylon? <laughs> I wanted to tell him, yeah, I don't talk to you. Jesus understands. Tell your neighbor, Jesus understands. Jesus understands. And the believer knows that Jesus understands. And because of that, even though the believer struggles with sin, can put their hope in Jesus and be free from that sin. Yeah. I've got a book here, one of my books. This is a booklet. So, Alexander, you're right. I've written three books and a booklet. Alexander, so that's a music booklet. It's called College Your Pocket and Book on Sexual Purity. If you're a believer who wants to know anything concerning your sanctification, ask to get this book. It's going for 200 shillings. It's going to be out there. Grab it and learn just how God moves you from a place of struggling with sin to a place of freedom. Because we need it for me. Amen. And Jesus is going to come and there's a time when you believer will be free. Mm. That struggle with same-sex attraction will come to an end. Hallelujah. That struggle with fear will come to an end. Mm. That struggle with pride will come to an end. Yeah. And what is Jesus coming back to do? Jesus Christ is coming back for the beginning of the end. Mm. Because the end times is not just an event. The end times are a series of events. And the end game of the end times is that Christ will establish his kingdom here on earth. And when he establishes his kingdom here on earth, the Bible says there will be a millennial rule of 1,000 years. Can you believe that? A thousand years of Eden on earth. And it's not something like a fairy tale. Wait until you rule and reign with him. Mm. Wait until he gives you territories. Wait until he accounts for the talents he's given to you and he rewards, rewards you and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah. Wait until he tells you that this earth was not for destruction, this earth was for redemption. Wait until the scriptures say that Satan will be bound with chains. And wait until you see the reward of the wicked and the reward of the righteous. It shall come to pass. Amen. Look forward to it. Yeah. Long for it. Live each day in light of eternity. Understand that He loves you. He's not going to condemn you. Join us every Sunday from 11 a.m. at Trubani House off Airport North Road. Have a blessed week.